Our uh, scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's hear God's word. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father God, we, uh, again, thank you for an opportunity to be here uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ, joined together uh, in in worship and adoration of you. God, we um, pray that as we come into this time where we look into your word, um, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would um, shine a light on your word and on this text. Um, God, that we would understand what it means, um, that we would see how we should live our lives and, and to run our church um, based on these things. And that um, you would continue to make us um, into the people that you have called us to be. Um, God, we thank you for, on this um, specific weekend, we thank you for um, all those who have um, suffered and sacrificed um, for the freedoms that we have in this country. Um, God, we give you thanks for all the many people who have um literally lived out what we see um, in the scriptures when it talks about greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. God, we we pray for um, not only those who have um, served this country in terms of military service and and um, law enforcement and, um, God, uh, the different kinds of, of, of services um, to protect us, God, but we pray, too, um, for those who have given their lives in the cause of Christ, those who this day all around the world um, are suffering um, and, and even being martyred um, because of their faith. In, in you. And so we pray for those people uh, and give you thanks um, that you have um, placed Christ in um, our hearts to such an extent, um, God, that we would be willing to give all for him. Um, help us to be those people. Help us um, to have the kind of faith um, and the kind of, of trust in you um, that would allow us to give up everything um, if needed um, for the cause of Christ. Uh, We thank you, we praise you, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And so we're continuing this study that we've been doing in um, 
uh, talking about elders and deacons in the life of the church and how elders and deacons, what that looks like. We haven't even gotten to deacons yet. We're going to spend a little less time on deacons than we have um, on on elders. But what we're talking about tonight um, is is sort of a job description of the elders, um, what elders should be doing in a church. So we've already talked about kind of the distinction um, a little bit between um, elders and deacons, and we've talked about this idea of calling and, and um, God um, raising up people um, to be elders um, in the church. Last week, we talked about qualifications for um, uh, being an elder in the church. And so um, this week, we kind of come to this idea of a job description. And we're going to be looking at some specific words that the Apostle Peter um, has for for elders in general um, about what they should be, do, be doing and, and, and the work of being an elder. Now, you'll notice something as we go through this. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you'll notice there's a lot of overlap, right? Because obviously, as we talk about what an elder does, that is very connected to who an elder is. And so there's going to be some things that overlap, but you'll see how those things play out as we work through the text. Um, as a statement kind of first, um, as we talk about these tasks, as we talk about the way an elder actually elders, okay, in a congregation, um, there's always going to be a function of these things in which they are differing in degrees based on at least two things, and that's gifting and invocation, all right? And so we've already talked a little bit about the idea that there are going to be some people who are called to eldership, um, who, who, who take on the mantle of eldership, um, who do that vocationally. That becomes their primary um, living and primary work, right? And obviously we're going to expect more eldering work out of someone who has taken on that responsibility vocationally. Um, but there are going to be other people who are lay elders, right? And so they will have other jobs and other professions and other things that they give a significant amount of their time to. Um, and so, so in terms of degree, um, the elder work is going to be different sometimes. Also, in terms of gifting, it's going to be different sometimes, right? There will be some people that excel at certain aspects of the eldering task over other people, okay? And, and, and that's just a function sometimes of, it, it can be a function of experience, but it's also a function of God's gifting of people, right? There are certain people who have, um, I'll give you a great example. Um, Greg Long, pastor at the Mother Church, has an uncanny ability um, to do what I would call chaplain-like ministry, right? To be able to step into a room of someone who is... Um, going to leave this earth in a few short hours and yet have an immediate connection and be able to speak an immediate word into their life in, in, a, in, a, in a crazy way, right? And all I can say is, yes, he's done it for a lot of years, and so there's, there's an experience element to that. But there is a gifting element to it, too, right? God has, has wired him that way in terms of his, his life and ministry. And so, so what we notice is this, is that the degree to which people do these eldering tasks may be different, but all the tasks end up being the same, okay? Elders, elder, okay? Um, pastors, pastor, okay? Um, these things all come together in the lives of elder overseer pastors, all right? Um, even if they're to varying degrees. So let's look at the, what, what Peter says to, um, to these, these elders that he's writing to. In verse 1 he says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, right? So, so Peter is acknowledging his similar role as an elder. He's acknowledging that we are elders as a function of, of who we are in Jesus Christ and, and what we know about Jesus Christ. Um, and he says this. The first thing he says to the elders is, is there in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
All right. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is the work of a, of, of a pastor, the work of an elder overseer is to shepherd the flock. Okay, so that word shepherd, we've talked about already how um, it actually is the same word for pastor in the New Testament. Okay, so what we notice is this. There's only one time in the whole New Testament the word pastor is used. And yet it's sort of strange because it's the primary title that most of us would call um, leaders in the church. Right. Most of the time, the Bible calls them elders or overseers. But one time it calls them pastors. However, that word pastor is actually found multiple places in the New Testament. It's just translated differently. It's translated as shepherd in most places in the scriptures and just pastor in that one place in Ephesians. Okay, and and we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why we call elder overseers pastors more than we call them elder overseers a lot of times. And the reason is this, because pastoring, shepherding is so integral to the life and work of an elder overseer. Right. That's their main thing that they are doing. Right. They are are shepherding the flock of God. And so notice how the, the, the illustration that is presented there, right? How a pastor tends his congregation is going to be very similar to, way, to the way a shepherd tends his sheep. God has given us that illustration for a reason, okay? And so what does a shepherd, you could ask, what does a shepherd do for his sheep? Well, the first thing he does is he sees to their feeding, Right. A shepherd sees to the feeding of the flock in terms of the church. That means um, that is through the teaching and preaching of God's word. So for the congregation, the word is the food that nourishes us. Right. We know that from Jesus own words when he says man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right. We are fed on God's word. And so, as I mentioned last week, that only skill, in fact, Mentioned in the qualifications for being an elder overseer is the ability to teach. There are no other skills mentioned. Lots of character traits, a couple of sort of life stage traits, but only one skill. And that is the ability to teach. Why? Because feeding the flock is central to the work of the elder overseer pastor. All right. And so when when Paul is writing to Timothy and both, if you've if you don't haven't recognized this, first and second Timothy and Titus are called the pastoral epistles. And there's a reason for that, because it's essentially Paul teaching us through these two men what it means to be a pastor, what it means to be an elder and an overseer. OK, and so Paul writing to Timothy says this in second in Timothy, chapter four, uh, verse one. I charge you listen to the gravity of the language as he says to as he talks to Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom preach the word, be ready in and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Okay? That's Paul's charge to Timothy as an elder. All right? He says, I charge you by God and the Son and his kingdom and the gospel, preach the word. All right. Exhort people, reprove people, um, rebuke people when necessary. Right. Feed your flock the word of God. OK. And so if we're going to be adequate um, feeders of the flock, that's going to mean at least a couple things. Elders are going to have to be learners first. Right. You can't teach what you don't know. And so elders are going to have to be learners. They're going to be readers. They're going to be listeners. They're going to be studiers. All right. 
And so again, I, there's, there's, a, there's this tension that you feel a lot of times, especially in, in kind of current American society where people are like, ah, I'm not a big reader. I like books. I don't like to read, you know. Uh, reading's boring. Reading's dumb. Um, I don't like to read. Man, we got to learn how to read, okay? We have got to learn how to once again engage our minds and lives through reading because it's the only way we're going to learn. It's the only way we're going to learn God's Word and, and the things um, that have to do with God's Word, okay? And so we have to be learners to be elders, but then we also, to, be, to, be, to teach, we have to teach, all right? And this is something that I think is a distinction between certain traditions and certain denominations in, in, in uh, the Christian world, right? I think all elders should teach. You shouldn't have certain kinds of elders who don't teach and certain kind of elders that do teach. Everybody's going to teach um, if they are an elder. It's one of the, it's one of the, 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 the qualifications, okay? And so again, um, that could look a lot of different ways. Maybe it means teaching from the pulpit. Maybe it means teaching a, a Bible study or a, or a discipleship class or um, a small group or something like that. It could look different ways, I think. But elders teach. All right? That's what they do. All right? They, they feed their sheep. So, but here's the deal. It's not just a dispassionate kind of teaching, right? We're not just teaching the way some sort of disengaged professor would in, in a university or something like that, right? We are teaching people with the, the, the idea in mind to benefit them and to protect them. And that's the second thing that we notice shepherds do for their flocks, right? Shepherds protect their flocks. The shepherd protects his sheep from whatever the predator is, wolves or coyotes or, or, or anything else that might be there. David, in the Old Testament, is a model of that for us, right? David talks about the fact where he says, you know, when I was out shepherding my flocks, if a bear or a lion came up and tried to take the flock, um, man, I'd walk up to that lion and grab him by his beard, right, and, and slay the lion or kill the bear to protect my flock. He would put his own life in danger to protect the flock from hurt. So when we come to the New Testament, we find this. The illustration of that wolf that comes in and attacks the flock tends to be false teachers, all right? There could be all kinds of enemies for the church, but false teachers are what we see in, in the New Testament as being the enemy that is, that is trying to attack the church. And so, again, Paul writing to the elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 says this. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then in verse 29, he says this, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Okay? Notice this. So Paul says there are going to be wolves that come in to, to destroy the flock, but it's not just outside wolves, right? It's not just the world, right? The bigger problem is wolves inside the church. People who come in and begin to try to lead and try to teach and try to take positions of, of, of authority, but they are speaking false things, right? They are teaching things contrary to the gospel. That's dangerous. And it is the job of elders in the church to guard the church against that, to protect the gospel itself and protect the people of God for the gospel. All right. And so both of those things come into play in that. And guess what? You know, I was, I was having a conversation earlier this evening. Right. That's difficult. 
it is hard to protect people from falsehood. It is, it is hard to protect people from the destructive forces that are out there because oftentimes we want destructive forces in our lives, right? We like them. Um, we, we like the freedom that we think those destructive forces provide. And it's hard to come up to somebody a lot of times and say, hey, man, what you're doing is wrong. Um, it is it is categorically biblically wrong, um, and I am correcting you in this time. If if it goes further, we may even have to rebuke you. Okay, nobody likes that. Nobody likes being corrected. We certainly don't like being rebuked. It's hard to protect the flock. The job of elder in that context is a difficult job. Okay, and we and we need to recognize that we don't try to correct and rebuke and 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 protect the flock out of some sort of arrogance or desire to to dominate people. Right? Um, we, we we show a protective concern that a, that a parent would have over their child, or or again a shepherd would have over those that he was in in care of. It is it is the role of a watchman, really. Right? It is somebody who is there to sound the alarm, and nobody likes. Um, being woken up in the middle of the night to an alarm. Um, but that's what the pastor's called to do, to warn people of, of impending danger. And so that protective care and that concern, the thing is that it extends not just to enemies on the outside, but it, but it, but it extends also that care and concern to just the natural ebb and flow of life and the crazy stuff that goes on and the difficulties that come along with it, right? And so we protect Pastors protect the church, but they also care for the church. Um, elders have a special responsibility to care for the sick amongst the congregation. Certainly, the spiritually sick, which is a function of the teaching and, and correcting roles, right? But also, there is a responsibility that the church, uh, that elders in the church have to care for the physically sick. Okay. And that's why the reality is, man, hospital visits are a thing. You know, nursing home visits are a thing. Shut in visits are a thing. That is part of the life and ministry of elders in the church. Um, the book of James speaks specifically about that, right? It says, if anyone is sick, let him call on the elders of the church and let them come and pray over him and anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven, right? There is this part, this is this role of the elder where we are supposed to come into people's lives at their most vulnerable, right? Um, and certainly illness, physical illness is one of those times, right? If you're laying in a hospital bed, um, potentially or, or, or possibly about to die, um, that is a, that's an important, pivotal, vulnerable time in your life. And pastors are called to step in and be there in those situations. Somebody might think they get, might say, well, that sort of sounds more like a deacon role, at least the way we described them back um, at the beginning of this series, right? And the answer is, it could be. Deacons could certainly serve in some of those roles and minister in those roles. And yet there is a unique opportunity there for elders um, to to um, nurture and care for and give hope and encouragement to those who are in those situations, right? And so all of those things are kind of uh, brought together in this last one, and that is the idea that a shepherd prays for his flock. And you might go... Do shepherds pray for their flocks? Like, do actual, like, sheep herders pray for their flocks? And I think the answer is, yes, they do. Um, a farmer, 
or, or a herder or a shepherd knows that every single day there are going to be any number of things that will come into the life of their farm and their flock that they have no control over, right? And so every single day they are in a position where they have to entrust their flock to God and say, God, I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to do the work that you've called me to do, but I can't be everywhere and do everything. And there's going to be things that are outside of my control and ability to stop. And so I'm just going to trust you. Um, God in all these things. Like I think of, of the, the situation, again, talking about um, martyrdom and the things that have been going on around the world as Christians are being killed in various places in the world, Africa, the bombings in Sri Lanka over Easter, right? Can you imagine what it would be like, I can't, to be a pastor of a church where there had been a bombing and 200 people had been killed in, in a bombing, right? Um, I don't even know what you would do. I don't even know where you would start. But it's it's a perfect example of the fact that uh, of this things are out of our control oftentimes, right? There are ways that no one can minister to the flock. There are ways that no one can protect the flock from certain kinds of danger. Only God can come in and meet those needs. And so what does a a a, a pastor do? Just like we saw in Acts chapter 6. It says we are given, the elders of the church are given to the ministry of the word and to prayer, right? That's part of their job, is to spend a significant amount of time in prayer for um, the church and its people. I'm going to confess to you, I do this not to the extent that I should, right? Um, I offer you guys up in prayer all the time. I can show you my prayer list and, and the way I kind of break down, and I pray for each of you on different days in different ways and stuff like that. Um, but, man, I need to go before the Lord in prayer so much more for you because one, I'm called to, and two, because you need it, okay? Because there's some things that nobody can protect you from except for God, that nobody can meet needs in your life except for God. And so I would ask that you would pray for me to be a better prayer for you, okay? Um, and and to, to go before the Lord that way as he's called me to do that. So we see that, right? Peter says, shepherd the flock. But then he goes on and says this, exercise oversight, Okay, so all of a sudden that sounds much less caring, right? It sounds much more formal. And and, and there's a sense in which it is, right? Um, Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, all right? So God says, you know what, elders, you're going to have to do some managerial work, okay? You're going to have to be people who come in and do some things that look like managing people, Now, again, somebody might say, Ash, isn't that a deacon role? Isn't sort of managing some of those practical things what we talked about in terms of of deacons doing their job? And the answer is, it is. But notice who in Acts 6 is the one who organizes the deacons, right? It's the elders, okay? The elders still have this sort of organizing and managerial thing of delegating certain jobs to other people. But it's still part part of the job, right? You have to be able to manage people, manage institutions in some way, manage... Bank accounts and properties and things like that. Like if those things come into um, the life of the church, right? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you got a house church, right? And there's not a lot of property that needs to be managed because you're meeting in somebody's home and they're taking care of those things. Um, but there is going to be a level of oversight there. There's also going to be a level of that comes along with that overseeing people of judging things. 
Making decisions about the good or bad between certain options or opportunities. That's just going to be um, part and parcel of the job of being an elder. Now, here's, here's what I want you to do real quick. Turn to John chapter 21, okay? Because here's something cool. We see this beautiful picture. It's, it's neat that Peter is the one who's saying these things. Peter is the one who's exhorting people to this because Peter's already kind of had this conversation with Jesus, Okay, And we see this in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. It's a story that you probably remember. Um, Peter, during the crucifixion, had rejected Jesus three times, right? Um, Jesus had, had said, before the cock crows, you will reject me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter said, I don't know the man. And, and then he heard the rooster crow, right? So in John chapter 21, something interesting happens. Look at verse 15. It said, When they had had breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay. So one of the neat things that we notice there is what? Peter had denied Christ three times. And now he is given three chances to affirm and confirm um, his love and devotion to Jesus. Right. And so he messed up those three times. And now Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you three times now to to affirm your love for me. But notice something else in that affirmation of his love for Jesus. There is also a commission. Jesus says, I know you love me, but I want you to do something now. And so he says these three things. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Okay? There are two different words used for sheep-type animals. Okay? And there are two different words used for pastoring sheep type work. Okay. And so one of the word is for lamb. It's like a little baby animal. Okay. A little lamb. All right. And the other one is a more generic word for a sheep, a full grown sheep. And then it has these two ideas too, of one specifically feeding the animal. And then the other one is sort of providing care for the animal. Okay. And so, and you'll notice how he switches the words. Like he says, feed and lamb, tend and sheep, but then feed and sheep. Okay, and so he sort of mixes those together. But there's a neat picture there. What is he calling us to? He's saying, I want you to feed them, teach them, and I want you to care for them, oversee them. Right. Um, And I want you to do this with the lambs and I want you to do this with the sheep. I want you to do this with the immature and I want you to do this with the seasoned. Okay, this is what I'm calling you to, Peter, as not only as an elder, but as an apostle of the church. I'm calling you to feed and tend to the care of the flock. And so Jesus combines those things. All right? And so that's kind of, we see this picture that pops up very quickly of what it looks like to actually do the work of being an elder. But I want to, I want to steer it just a little bit further and, and say this. So we've seen in the qualifications the who of being an elder. We've seen in the, the calling aspiration stuff, the why of being an elder. We've seen in the, the, um, the, uh, uh the, the what, um, would be what we've addressed here, right? What an elder is being called to do. But now when I, when I address the, the, the how, okay, how 
We, we know who he is. We know what he does. But how does the elder go about his work? And the answer is this. First off, one of two things, he leads by example. Okay? He leads by example. Verse 3. Not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Okay? So how does the elder lead that way? He leads by setting the example for the flock. What does that mean? Um, It means that he's not here doing these things by force. Remember, we talked about that in qualifications. The, the elder's not a striker. You remember when we, when we used that word? He's not a striker. He's not somebody who, who gets his will done by violence or by coercion, right? The elder is somebody who steps forward and does it first, all right? So simply put, the elder is somebody who leads from out front. He doesn't ask anybody to do something that he would be unwilling to do himself, um, so uh, my friend uh, uh, Daniel Lowe is here from, from Northern Ireland. He, he stayed with us a few years ago um, as an exchange student. And we were talking, we, every time he, we, we talk, we talk about sort of uh, Scots-Irish history and these different things like that, right? And we were referencing a book um, the other day by senator, a Virginia senator named Jim Webb called Born Fighting. And it's a book about Scots-Irish history, right? And I love history and I love Scots-Irish history particularly because I'm Scots-Irish. Um, and, and sort of its influence on America and whatever. And, and, he, and he calls out something in this book where he talks about um, these people. Um, and he says there, there's a unique quality, and, and not that nobody, no other people group has this, but there's a specific thing that seems to be um, uh, very much to the heart of the, the, the Scots-Irish um, mentality. And that is they tended to not enjoy following leaders who were just leaders for the sake of being leaders, right? That, that oftentimes, in fact, that they would look to these kings or princes or dukes or earls and there would almost be a resentment to them. The kind of leaders they followed were the kind of people who came alongside them and fought alongside them and served alongside them, right? It was a shoulder to shoulder kind of experience and leadership and camaraderie between the people, right? You see that in Scots-Irish kind of mentality, but man, that's exactly what we're talking about in, in, in the Bible, okay? Um, Christian leadership doesn't look like do as I say, not as I do, okay? That is not Christian leadership, okay? Christian leadership is I'm going to step out and go before you and do this. Will you come alongside me and follow me? Will you come and do this thing with me, okay? Um, it never looks to other people to do the hard stuff. It says, no, I'm going to step out and do this stuff with you. Um, I'm going to be here alongside you. I'm asking you to come and join in this this process. And so it's always a leadership that says, follow me. It's never a leadership that says, you guys go first and do the dirty work. Stepping out first is difficult, right? It's awkward. It's inconvenient. It's sacrificial. It always is. That's the work of being an elder. Um, Elders don't go with the flow. They set the pace of the organization that they lead, right? And so they don't look around and say, um, I'm doing enough so that others won't look down on me, right? Think of how often we have that mindset in our minds. We look around and we go, what's the bare minimum that, minimum that I could do so that nobody thinks that I'm being a slacker? Okay, Uh, we do that a lot. That's the way we think about lots of things. It's the way that we look, think about work sometimes and the way we think about church, the way we think about all kinds of stuff. What's the least I could do so that nobody thinks that I'm not carrying my weight? 
Okay? That's not the picture of eldership and leadership in the church, right? Eldership and leadership steps out front and says, I'm living and serving in such a way that it will encourage other people to come alongside and, and, and follow and do the same things that I'm doing. It's setting a new standard for, for life, okay? That's what we're looking for in elders. That's what the Bible is calling us to in elders. And along with that, along with that out front leadership, there is another thing. And it's in verse 4. And that is that we are humbling ourselves always before the chief shepherd. So verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you. With humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Okay? So here's this central thing again that the shepherd realizes, that the elder realizes. He is a leader, but he is not the leader. Of a church, right? He is a servant, but he is not the ultimate servant of the church. He is a shepherd of the church, but he is not the chief shepherd of the church. The elder recognizes that his leadership is con- a contingent leadership. That he submits to the headship and to the example of Jesus Christ in all things. He recognizes that his leadership is as a lieutenant leadership to a captain who is Christ. And any sacrifice, any difficulty pales in comparison to what Jesus Christ has already done and accomplished on our behalf. And so you know what's cool? We we look again at that, that passage in John chapter 21 where Jesus is talking to Peter. And, and notice something that he says at the end right before where we stopped. Jesus talking to Peter says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay? That's a perfect tie-in. I mean, it's a beautiful um, juxtaposition of the fact that Peter has had this conversation with Jesus. Peter has had a conversation where Jesus said, I need you to feed and tend my sheep. All right? But what that's going to mean is you following me, which means stepping out front and going places that are difficult and doing a job that is difficult and a job that you probably don't want to do sometimes. But you're going to be submitting to my leadership in your life. And that's the model that we see, okay? And so again, there's, there's, this, there's, these, there's these levels, right? As the elder follows Jesus Christ, then the church is called to step up and follow that elder, okay? And, and to follow the leadership that God has placed in the, in the life of the church. And so we see this relationship appear in both these texts. Jesus has lived this life of true leadership, service and sacrifice and responsibility and ownership and, and whatever words you want to use, of stepping up and laying down his life. He has already accomplished these things for us. He has done them to the full. He has done them beyond anything that we could ever hope to, to imitate. And yet, even in the fact that he has accomplished them perfectly, he now calls us to come alongside to come and walk behind him and then says, as you step out and lead your people, people step out too and come along and follow your elders. Follow the people who are leading in your church. Um, imitate Christ 
and then let others imitate you and your leadership. Um, it is a noble task that God calls us to, right? Is it, a, it is a noble task that God calls elders in the church to. And so as we close today, I want you to continue to pray this way, right? Um, we're going to have one more message as we talk about the process of actually um, uh, nominating and, and electing and ordaining elders in, in the church. And we're going to talk about that next week. But I want you to I want you to be in prayer for these things, right? Because they may be a process that doesn't happen overnight. In fact, I can almost certainly say they won't happen overnight. They may not happen in weeks or months. It's possible they may not even happen in years, right? They will happen as as God draws people and 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 people take responsibility and step up into these positions, okay? But I want you to pray that he would do that, right? I think it is a negative of our fellowship. That I am the only elder. Okay? Um, that's a bad thing. Um, that is not the biblical model. Okay? Uh, it may be the necessity of a temporary situation, but it is not what God has designed the church to be. Okay? He has not called the church to have one elder who is, is sort of um, leading and, and making decisions and teaching and, and whatever. He calls for a, a cohort of, of elders to be there. And I pray that's what God gives us. But I want you to pray about it. Pray that God would send us the right people. Man, it's easy and so critical and dangerous at this stage, right? It is easy to get somebody in a position of leadership who shouldn't be there, right? And then in that process, now you've got an even bigger problem on your hands, right? Probably all of us have been part of churches at different times where you recognized all of a sudden that there was somebody who was in leadership in that church who didn't need to be in leadership in that church. Um, and that was because somewhere the ball was dropped, somewhere a process was shortcutted, somewhere somebody was given authority just because they were a nice dude or they'd been there for a long time or um, other men in the community or people um, liked their company or something like right? that. That's not what we're looking for. We are looking for people who aspire to this role, people who have the qualifications for this role, and people who are willing to do the work of the role of elder. So pray for those things. Um, pray for those things in the life of our church um, as we grow and as we minister and as we um, move forward in, in, in our community and, and in the life of this congregation. Um, let's go to the Lord and pray right now and do that, and then I'll have Cody come back up and close us in worship. Jesus, we acknowledge you um, as our great shepherd, as our chief shepherd. Um, we acknowledge you as, as the suffering servant, the person who is sacrificed um, to the fullest um, for your flock and for your people. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the great teacher. You are the great sage um, of our faith. Um, God, that everything that we know and believe um, comes from you. Jesus, we ask that you would humble us under your great leadership. And that in that process, as we are humbled, as we um, sit at your feet and learn, that you would begin to work in us a sanctification and a maturity that, that moves people towards um, eldership. Um, that you would work in our hearts, um, calling um, those who are gifted in, in certain ways, um, God, to step up, um, to aspire to that role of, of elder. God, these would be men of, of conviction and of, of knowledge. God, of, 
of humility and passion and a a desire um, to serve and lead your church. God, we pray that you would do these things. Help us, God. Help us make wise decisions. Um, Help us align our lives and hearts and processes um, with your word so that we can um, live as people who are aligning every aspect of our lives with you. God, we pray these things. We ask these things. We beg these things of you. In Jesus' name, amen.